Welcome back to another episode of Fantasy Baseball Buds. It is Sunday, May 29th, Memorial Day weekend. I am Matt, here as always with my co-host, Richard Franz. And Richie, we finally figured out our little technological uh, difficulty with getting a hold of you and notifications. Kind of nice to have you back uh, accessible to us. How are you doing today? I'm feeling a lot better. I was out recently with a little COVID stint, so... That wasn't the the most fun, but as far as the notification goes, yes, we realized that my Apple Watch, when I put it on Do Not Disturb, <laughs> tells everybody that um, I have all my notifications silenced, even though my phone will still uh, send me notifications and I still can text you. So that is the dilemma there. Yeah, incredibly annoying, um, but we figured it out. So all things are great there. Now, I think before we get into the meat of today's podcast, we need to talk a little bit about your COVID experience. Uh, you kind of at the tail end of this experience decided to make some very interesting fantasy baseball moves, which <laughs> through logic speaking, I think we have kind of deemed to be, you know, good roster construction. But let's kind of go over some of the moves you make, where you are in your season, um, and maybe the rationale between kind of, you know, rebuilding your team a fourth or a third of the way through the season. Yeah, I guess you could say that I had a, a bit of the COVID brain or the COVID fog, but uh, it, might, it might have been a little bit of being stir crazy, locked up in the house and just wanting to to be active. But where to where to start? So I'm three and three in our dynasty league, so I still have a, a decent chance of making the playoffs. I believe ESPN gives me a fifty two percent chance of making. The playoffs, but after looking at some of the other teams in the league, I didn't feel the strongest about my chances, uh, if I'm being completely honest. And I had a lot of rental pieces. I have a Shohei Otani that is what we call our franchise slot. So you can only have one of those. And at the end of the year, it came down to, do I want to keep Acuna for $50 in our $300 salary draft? Or do I want to keep a $40 Shohei Otani? And I have attachment issues with Acuna, so there's the logic in that. I also had a Jacob deGrom, which would be for $44, but with my logic and thought process and kind of what I call a rebuild or a retool, I wanted to move him for something that I thought was valuable and worth keeping. And in my mind, that's a top 20 or top 30 starting pitcher that is controllable in our dynasty year. Uh, Dynasty League, I should say, which is you get most of our contracts are four years long in terms. So I was looking for one of these high end pitchers in my mind that are less than $20 and a top 20, top 30 caliber. And I swapped out Jacob DeGrom for Logan Webb straight up. I was planning on dropping Brian Reynolds to make the move since DeGrom was on the IL. So I threw that in as a package. So technically it was Jacob DeGrom and Brian Reynolds for Logan Webb. So I'm happy with that move, even though I might be regretting it if I make the playoffs and Jacob DeGrom is back to his top three starting pitching ways. But I'll cross that bridge when I get there. The other move, which I just mentioned, was Otani. I ended up trading him straight up for a Frankie Montas, which is $11. So I'll keep him for $16 next year, and he's got two years left on his contract. I also view Frankie Montas as a fringe top 20, maybe, you know, maybe he could get top 10, top 15 at his peak and his floors, you know, maybe top 25, top 30. 
So I like that. Now I have some depth to my pitching staff now. I was riding, throwing in guys like Alex Cobb and Trevor Rogers, Reed Detmers into my rotation. So I feel like I'm still competitive, but I'm not a juggernaut like I used to be. Matt, what, what are your interpretations? I know you have some mixed feelings on the moves I made. Yeah, and I think you know from the fantasy baseball podcast perspective here, uh, the takeaway from your trade and kind of the things me and you spoke about off air, were just regarding timing. I think with a few of these players, you had another month, month and a half to really sit on these guys and maybe see their values you know shoot up even higher. But again, we talk about Degrom here. You know, he is kind of throwing bullpens again, or he's working his way towards that uh, this week. And you have the risk, right? If DeGrom goes out there and experiences elbow pain or shoulder pain or scapula pain right off the bat, okay, now people are probably less likely to even consider making a move for him. Um, but I, I, personally, I think in Dynasty Leagues, that's the hard decision. When you have contracts like we do or you have restrictions on keeping these players and you know, hey, I've got to move them by the end of the season. I'm not where I want to be looking around at the league. You know, I think I can still compete, but it it's up in the air. You got to go out and get that value. You decided to do it a little bit earlier than I think I would have, but it's hard also when, um, you know, you have real world things mixed in there. I think you brought up a good point about kind of being at home and being stifled and wanting to just, you know, experience things. I get in that with trades too, right? I just made the Kyle Wright for Mackenzie Gore trade, which in all seems and purposes here, like I gave up more than I got because I just wanted to make a move. It's a very dangerous world of trading at fantasy baseball. I think the closest thing I can compare it to is probably when you talked to me about getting your first tattoo and you were like, I need another one. That's how I feel about <laughs> fantasy baseball trades, right? Yeah, but I put a little more logic into it. But the other thing with the Jacob deGrom uh, lo- logic and thing is I also have Max Scherzer, who I lost for six to eight weeks. So now I lost another ace. So my two best pitchers outside of Corbin Burns are now sitting on the IL and before Jacob deGrom, with the news coming out that he was coming back and starting to throw again, it was said he wasn't even supposed to be throwing for another month and wasn't starting to ramp up until after the All-Star break, which is usually the beginning of July, middle of July. Now, I was under the impression that, you know, maybe they rush him back because they have Tyler McGill on the IL. They just lost Scherzer. They have this team built for a World Series run. Do they pressure him, rush him back, because they don't have much left? Who are they going to put? Seth Lugo? They have David Peterson, who we'll talk about a little bit later. But this is a Mets rotation that is hurting. seems like we talk about that all the time of them dealing with injuries. And so I was kind of curious, kind of weary, on if they would bring him back a little bit too soon, and that runs the risk of re-injury. And so... That played a role maybe subconsciously in me wanting to move him earlier than I wanted to. All right. Well, you know, kind of talking about trades, moving into some news and notes here, Richie. We have a list of news and notes from around the league. A lot of injury uh, notation here. A couple of new opportunities for a couple of pitchers joining rotations. And one of the biggest prospects for Major League Baseball actually got called up. Um, I don't know that we're going to see a huge fantasy impact from Mr. Harris, but I think we will get into him a little bit later on the waiver wire ads portion of this podcast. Uh, But why don't you go ahead and kick it off with some of the news and notes around the league. Yeah, so this one's going to be a little bit bittersweet. The first one we have is Royce Lewis got called back up today with Jose Miranda getting sent down. He was kind of struggling 
And so Rice Lewis was uh, on fire in AAA. Unfortunately, he crashed into the wall, making a magnificent catch in center field. Looks like from the video that we saw, it looks like it's a shoulder injury. But as soon as he goes down, he instantly grabs at his right knee. I fear the worst. Um, after seeing the Ronald Acuna uh, tear his ACL last year, I don't think anything like that because it didn't jolt that way. But maybe a sprained MCL, ACL. I don't want to speculate. Maybe hyperextended knee. So looks like he's possibly going on the IL, which is sad to see. I don't know if Jose Miranda will come back up because I think he needs to stay back down just to work on his mechanics and kind of get his confidence back. So maybe we see Alex Kirloff or somebody else kind of take that role. Moving on, Spencer Strider finally gets the chance. He's joining the Braves rotation tomorrow for Memorial Day. He was fantastic in relief, usually going about two to four innings. My hesitation with him is, is he's primarily a two-pitch pitcher, has an amazing fastball and a nasty slider, which we've talked about on previous podcasts. So it's curious to see if he can get three times through the rotation or through the order. Usually two-pitch pitchers, that third time through, hitters know or kind of expect what you're going to be throwing. That's when you need to change up or a curveball kind of to throw them off a little bit. So I'm curious to see what happens there. Maybe he only goes five innings from there. Our boy, Ethan Small, is getting called up to pitch one of the doubleheaders for the Brewers. He's been doing fantastic in the minors through AAA. He has a 1.88 ERA, and through 38 and a third innings pitch, he has 49 strikeouts, which you love to see. The downside is, though, he has 21 walks, which is far too many, so... You can see he's clearly struggling with his command, but he does have the stuff, was a top prospect for the Brewers. I think he is definitely in the top 10. He's the number seven prospect for the Brewers and the number one pitcher. So I'd be interested to see what he does. If he does well, I could see them possibly going to a six-man rotation with Freddie Peralta and Aaron Ashby not fully built up. And then uh, Michael Harris got called up for the Braves. He was their top prospect, kind of blossomed. He was a third-round pick, was only in single-A and double-A last year. But he hit the gates running with over a 300 batting average. He's known for his speed and his defensive abilities. Just today, he made an amazing dive in center field where the ball started tailing on him, and he caught it with his actual bare hand and put it like into his glove. It was amazing. So I think he's going to be a better baseball player than a fantasy player, um, at least for the time being. But he did make the jump from double-A straight to MLB, which I'm a little hesitant on. But the last time we saw something like this, I believe it was Juan Soto. I can't remember anybody else. I don't want to say Michael Harris is the next Juan Soto. He's not going to have as much power. But maybe he hits for some average 250 to 270, I'm kind of expecting. But... Anything's better than what they're getting out of Adam Duvall, who's hitting under 200. Let's take a break there before we get into the rest and kind of want to get your take on on these four uh, news items, Matt. Yeah, for, for Strider here, I'm very excited for him. He's someone that we've watched, obviously, all season, someone preseason that we were intrigued to see if he could pull out a rotation spot. I think this is definitely due uh, my only concern is he hasn't really been stretched out, at least in appearances. If you look at his most recent appearance on the 25th, he had two and two-thirds against Philadelphia. 
And then previously, he had only an inning against Miami and Milwaukee on the 18th and the 20th. The 16th against Milwaukee, he pitched two innings. And then dating all the way back to May 6th, he actually had his longest appearance in this month of May. He had a four-inning appearance against Milwaukee. So while, yes, he's going to start tomorrow, presumably, uh, I am interested to see if he can get through four innings. I think four innings might be his cap. Looking at his pitch count, can he keep those walks in check? Possibly five. Um, but I think when in terms of overall potential and what he can flash, he's going to give the Braves at least four or five good innings every time he goes out there, which we've seen with the revolving door of that fifth rotation spot. I mean, Davidson was just flat out bad. Um, you know, I think we could name two or three other guys that they've tried to use in that position that have also been bad. I think Strider will be the guy that kind of holds that glue together. The only problem is it's going to take a while to stretch him out into that sixth, seventh inning possibility. And also, as you said, with only two pitches, is he even effective in that third turn around the rotation? So definitely interesting to keep an eye on Strider there. I think he's absolutely worth a roster spot, a bench spot in any leagues outside of maybe an eight man, I think even 10 man's. Uh, with his flexibility with the relief pitching role in points leagues, you know, might be worth your final bench spot. Uh, Ethan Small, number one draft pick for the Brewers, at least a first round pick years ago. I actually thought he was going to be better than Aaron Ashby. I thought he gets the major leagues before Ashby. That was not the case, uh, not the case, but another lefty with plus plus off speed pitches. I think Ashby is probably going to be a better pitcher than Small, but I think Small will probably be fitting into that fourth slash three uh, mid-rotational piece. And again, Brewers have a lot of pitching, so he has the ability to bounce around from the bullpens to the rotation back to the minors. I think he's in the perfect position to really kind of develop his pitches at the major league level. And then Michael Harris, you kind of said it. I think he's going to be a guy that hits for average, is more of a defensive plus out in the outfield. Uh, but a guy to watch and a guy in dynasty leagues that is pretty exciting to come up. You're not going to get a lot of power out of him. You're going to get some counting numbers, but uh, raw, raw athlete there and a guy that I think kind of falls into that Corbin Carroll bag um, more so than the Juan Soto, like you said, but making that jump from double A is pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of why I put him on my scout list. You know, I've heard of the guy, know about him, know his pedigree, but as far as fantasy, he wasn't even on my watch list out of terms of prospects that I'm looking to pick up. But anybody who goes from double A straight to the majors kind of piques your interest and kind of makes you want to keep an eye on him. So we'll see what he does throughout the week. You know, if he comes out blistering, I definitely would say pick him up. If you've got the room to stash him, go ahead, pick him up now, because if he turns hot, you know, it might be a, a bidding war on your waiver wire. So if you have the room, it doesn't hurt to pick him up, and then you can drop him next week if he, you know, only bats 200 with a couple runs and RBIs. He is batting ninth or eighth in the order. So if he gets on base, though, you know, you got Ronald Acuna, Yalbis, Matt Olson, so they should be able to knock him in most times that he gets on base. All right, Richie. So next on our news and notes, we have finally hit the injury portion. Uh, some good news, some bad news. Some kind of in the middle of the road news. Um, do you want to go ahead and break down some of the news and notes for injuries around Major League Baseball? Yeah, we briefly touched on it. Jacob DeGrom threw from 135 feet and says he co feels completely fine. So we'll see what the next step has in store for him. That is good news, even though it looks like they are rushing him. Unfortunately, Eloy Jimenez has had a setback in his rehab from his torn hamstring. He felt a a tweak in there, so that is unknown, but looks like he's not going to be coming back. Uh, Jesus Lazardo 
Hay has that forearm strain. It's not looking good. He was set to throw uh, originally around this time this weekend. He still is not throwing. The original timeline was for him to come back within three weeks. We're at about two weeks now. So even when he starts to throw, it's going to be about a week or two before he can build back up. So my concern is, you know, maybe this is an elbow injury or something more significant, but hopefully not. Moving on, Lance Lynn is set to start a rehab assignment later this week. He's coming back from a knee surgery that he had earlier in the season. And then lastly, Tyler McGill is allegedly set to face live batters later this week. He was out with that bicep tendonitis. So some good news for the Mets rotation. Um, hopefully they can get healthy as I roster quite a few people on this injury list. So I'm hoping that all of these players can come back soon. Yeah, and we just saw a trade in our Dynasty League involving Lance Lynn. Miles Michaelis was shipped out for Lynn. As we kind of joked today in our uh, in our chat, it was perfect timing since Michaelis finally blew up and that ERA is kind of starting to crater a little bit as we expected. I think Lance Lynn out of all these pitchers is probably the safest bet because it was a knee injury. It wasn't an upper body injury. It wasn't a back, lat, shoulder, elbow it was the knee, so I think we're going to see Lance Lynn come back to form this year. Very, very concerning with Eloy Jimenez. Uh, I had caught wind of him coming back possibly earlier than he should about a week ago. And it's funny because you think about supreme athletes that can come back and beat an expected timeline on an injury, and you think about the guys that are in peak physical form. Well, that's not Eloy Jimenez. So, of course, if he's going to be coming back early, the concern is, is he actually ready? And not only that, but he had a torn hamstring. This wasn't necessarily just a strain. I, I don't know what the setback was. I will have to look into that more. But that's definitely concerning to me. And I need him. In one of my dynasty leagues, he is on the IL, and I am lacking a little bit of extra power in that league. Uh, it would be nice to have him back. But depending on how bad this setback is, we could be seeing him in August at this point. I think we're going to have to continue to monitor that. Yeah, and I have him in my categories league. He was one of the main proponents for power that I had invested in in that league, so I really could use him. And then while we were on the topic of Lance Lynn for Miles Michaelis, I did want to note, I did look into him a little bit because before Jackson, who actually made the trade for Michaelis into Lynn, we were kind of investigating and looking into why he's having so much success. And while looking into him, notice that he's throwing his slider probably merely over his fastball which is different compared to all the other years and didn't really understand why that was such a, a big reason for it but looking at his his pitch chart his slider is always on the corner outside of the strike zone which is where you want it and his changeup has always been on the corner but when you look at his fastball his heat zone is right smack dab in the middle so when he throws his fastball it's pretty much a meatball. It's If hitters know if they're sitting on the fastball, they know it's going to be high and inside or high down the middle. That's a pitch that's going to get crushed. So, I mean, I don't, I didn't see what happened today. Start, did he go back to the fastball? Did hitters just kind of sit on that slider, let it go out? If it hits the corner, great, they get a strike. If it's outside, um, you know, maybe they take a ball. I'd have to look at that, but that is something to note if you are a Miles Michaelis owner or looking into him. It doesn't look like he's doing anything differently, and as soon as pitchers start adjusting to that and they know he's throwing his slider, they can look for it down and outside. That might be an adjustment he has to make now to uh, adjust to the hitters adjusting to him. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, one more injury update before we move on to our favorite topic being prospects. Tim Anderson did have the groin injury as well today. Uh, no real update other than the fact that he'll probably be on the IL. I don't think that's a huge loss. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about Anderson a lot, kind of a middle-of-the-road shortstop, a guy that you can start and trust, but not a guy that's going to definitely win you categories or win you leagues. Uh, but Anderson, you know, in the news this week for other reasons, is going to be hitting the IL. So now, Richie, it is yeah, our... And go ahead. Before I move on, I, I do have Tim Anderson in my categories league, so I'm just falling apart. The good news is, is I have Bobby Witt, who's starting to come around, so... That is a good replacement, so I don't have to worry about who I want to start now. Yeah, and you know we're going to have a guy that we don't actually have listed in our uh, Promising Prospects segment here that I will mention at the end that I think we might see in a week or two that might be able to replace him or a couple of the other guys. You know, Maybe Royce Lewis was slotted to be your guy, right? Maybe you're rostering a fringe shortstop, and, and Lewis getting called up was your saving grace, and now here we are with this injury. So we have two shortstops that you know are out. Um, but Richie, why don't you go ahead and kick off some of the promising prospects that we've seen? We have a shorter list for you than normal today, kind of keep it light. But we do have some very impressive players around minor league baseball. Yeah. So during my COVID fog, I did wanna, I did some research, and this is a player that I've heard of before, but I didn't really think too much about him. But I did some extensive research because. Caleb Killian has been doing fantastic for the AAA affiliate for the Chicago Cubs. He currently has a 206 ERA and 41 Ks in 39 and a third innings. What I like about it is he has 15 walks. I kind of want that to be lower, but looking at uh, MLB, they give him a 65 on his control. And I know Baseball America, I don't have it up. They give him a higher grade. I want to say 70. And that is significant. Because you think of players like Shane Bieber, who has fantastic control. A player I like, George Kirby, got an 80 grade on his control. And if you have the stuff and the control, you're going to do well in the majors. If you can pinpoint that that strike zone, you're going to do well. Players who have amazing stuff and can't control it, players like Hunter Green, they don't do well in the majors. We're seeing it right now with Hunter Green. He's getting shelled because he doesn't know where his fastball is going. I wanted to highlight him because he got snagged in our Dynasty League, and I was actually upset because this is a player I didn't think many people knew about, especially in our, I I guess you could say, short rostered or uh, shallow rostered as far as the Dynasty perspectives goes. And I thought I could grab him, you know, once he got called up or, um, you know, snag him at the end of the year if he didn't. Um, so that was just a player I wanted to note. If he's available in your Dynasty League, definitely somebody to pay attention to. Moving on, Daniel Espino. He still lights out for AAA. He's got a 2-4-5 ERA and 35 strikeouts in 18 and a third. Vinny Pasquantino is lighting it up for AAA for the Kansas City Royals. He plays first base. Most recently, he went 5-for-7 with two home runs, two doubles, and he now has 13 home runs for AAA. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets called up with a struggling Carlos Santana. I think the only reason why they're waiting is service time and because Carlos Santana is getting paid at this point. Moving on, Francisco Alvarez, catcher for the New York Mets, now has three home runs in his last three games. This is notable because he didn't hit a home run over the past 29 days, so he's finally starting to come around. 
your boy Jason Dominguez is starting to heat up. He's on a four-game hitting streak, and he has six hits out of the last seven, with four of them being multi-hit games. So it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, before he gets moved up another level. And then another pitcher for the Red Sox, Brian Bello, is uh, starting to catch wind and fire across uh, industries. He's got 10 strikeouts in his first two starts at AAA. He has a 197 ERA across AA and AAA this year. So, Matt, what are your thoughts on these prospects? Anything else you want to note? Yeah, Vinny um, is probably the guy I would be looking to add or put to your watch list for immediate impact. I think once he's called up, you have an opportunity to see probably a similar production line that MJ Melendez has given Kansas City. I think Melendez, as it stands right now, has four home runs. He doubled again today. Um, and Pascutino is going to step right into that role at first base, I think. Santana has had a pretty bad year, and you said it perfectly. They're paying him. So I think that is a big piece. But you also have to remember we have Nick Prado down there too. We have players that deserve to be at the major league level and deserve to develop together with Witt and MJ Melendez. And I think it's only a matter of time until you get these guys to the major league level. Again, you need to temper expectations with the ball, the hitting environment that we have this year. I don't think we're going to see the same kind of production that we're seeing from Vinny and AAA. Um, But, you know, I think it could be useful. I think he could be a guy on your bench that you could use as a utility player here and there. Then Jason Dominguez, I think it was, you know, definitely a matter of time before we saw him start to actually hit the ball, start to actually make those adjustments. And I'm very excited because, well, frankly, I own him in a dynasty league, but I also own a lot of his memorabilia, so I need him to play well. But um, I I do think we're going to see the evolution of Dominguez here, continue to hit well, continue to see that power start to develop and start to see him move quickly through the minor leagues. Obviously, he's in single A as it stands right now. We need to see that translate to double A and then to start to see how some of these tools also impact. He is still 19 years old, though. So tempering expectations there is important. And then lastly, uh, I'll touch on Alvarez a little bit. You know, I think he has immense raw power, and I've questioned whether he'll be on the Mets this season in that DH role or in the backup catcher role. I do think he still has some work to gain in terms of like actually calling games and being a catcher first, but the hit tool is definitely there. The power is there. Uh, and then when he hits the ball, man, it just, it's an absolute nuke shot. So I was kind of surprised to see that he hasn't homered in the last 29 days. I did see a couple of his home runs at this week. Yeah. And the other thing with Vinny Pasquantino is I don't know if he's going to give you the type of power MJ Melendez has, but he does have a better hit tool and, Excuse me, last year he did have the same number of walks to strikeouts, 64 and 64. And this year so far he's got 25 walks to 30 strikeouts. So I think he might be able to uh, give you some good on-base numbers. Um, But, yeah, I don't know about the power and hit tool. Took a little bit for MJ Melendez to come around, but definitely somebody that should be on your roster. Or I should say on your watch list. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think I think he's a doubles guy at the major league level. Um, obviously, he's going to hit some home runs. You know, those of you that have played fantasy baseball or been baseball fans for a, a long time, I view uh, Pascutino a lot like Lyle Overbay, former Brewers first baseman, Diamondbacks first baseman. I think he still holds the Brewers record for doubles in a season. Guy that just hit really well. And when he hit it, it was a gap shot every single time. Pascutino is a good hitter, has decent exit velo. Um, he's probably going to hit you 15 to 20 home runs, but definitely a doubles guy. Nonetheless, I like that comp. I yeah, like that. I, and I liked Lyle Overbay a lot. That, but yeah, 
Um, and that's useful, right? Like a guy that is constantly on second and driving in runs. But the shortstop I kind of alluded to earlier, um, it's O'Neill Cruz. He's coming up soon. And he's no, he's still batting under 200, but the exit velo shots are still there. He's still starting to kind of come around in terms of game-to-game hitting. Uh, I think O'Neill Cruz, we kind of talked about this on the podcast throughout the season so far, was definitely held back mentally by the fact that they brought him back to AAA. But I do think O'Neill will be up very soon if he has you know, been released or if he's still on your waiver wire. I think that's a, uh, the next shortstop to go out and add. Uh, and he's a guy that I'm very, very excited to see play. Yeah, over the last 10 days, he's batting 325 with four home runs and seven RBIs. So he's definitely heating up. It's only a matter of time. If he keeps us up, I don't see any reason why they don't uh, they don't bring him up. And you should probably just trade with me for Tyler uh, Malley. <laughs> yeah, because Malley finally had a good start, right? You know, this is kind of – it reminds me – if he pans out, it reminds me of um, kind of like the Rays-Pittsburgh uh, deal, like – Oh, at the time, it looked like a great deal, but it might have uh, turned around and bit me in the ass, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you got to really think about it. The deal now ended up being, um, I guess... Logan we could... Webb in the end, I guess. Yeah, it was really it. Logan Webb for O'Neill Cruz. You know, like, it's a pretty damn good Which deal. Which I would do. I would do all over again. I mean, I would too. It's been because... an interesting It's been an interesting trade path for me this season, to say the least. We need to do the... Uh, delman young trade tree with you and all of your players and kind of like reconnect where they've all been where they came from and where they how they've maneuvered Um, i've not heard of what is this delman young tree so delman young was traded from the rays i want to say to the tigers we'll talk about this on the next podcast because this is actually an incredible story and if you actually go back and look at the multiple players that were involved in this tree it led to really the construction and foundation of a lot of the raised teams. Um, because I think it was Matt Garza. I think it was a straight swap Garza for young and then Garza was traded. And then those pieces that they got back for Garza were also traded. And it turned into like this 74 player tree from Delman young, um, who is Dimitri young's younger brother. But we'll talk about that next podcast. Cause I need to make sure I get my facts straight, but Richie, we have one more segment. This is our, most important segment, I guess you could say, for weekly uh, fantasy players. We're going to talk about our waiver wire ads. There's a couple players that you're very, very excited that you have actually added yourself, one of which that I'm also a big supporter of, um, and then a couple guys that we've mentioned in terms of the hit tool as well as uh, a couple pitchers that have rised here. So give me a couple sparps right off the bat and talk to me about the one you're most excited about. Yeah, so part of my... COVID fog brain and uh, stint at home, did a lot of research and realized that my Ranger Suarez has not been panning out for me. And I realized that I need to, uh, you know, change what I have going on for my second relief pitching spot because my main one is Liam Hendricks, which is a staple. I'm not too worried about him. I know you have some concerns, but we'll uh, talk about that another time. So a lot of my trades actually stemmed I'm clearing up some roster space so I could get this player, and that is Jeffrey Springs. He was a reliever for the Tampa Bay Rays, most recently moved into the starting rotation, and in his first two starts, he went 11 and two-thirds innings with only six hits, two earned runs, four walks, and 13 strikeouts. And it was my mission to acquire him and add him on my team before he started this last Friday when it was against the Yankees. 
Now, this is a Yankees team that does not have Giancarlo Stanton and has been kind of struggling a little bit. But I was wondering if he can, you know, give less than three earned runs and have, you know, five to six strikeouts, no walks, and kind of bolster out because he was getting built up. I think this was a, a guy having that relief pitcher eligibility in a points league that can do wonders. If he can consistently go six innings every time out, I think he can get you quality starts. I don't think he's going to be an ace by any means because he doesn't throw that hard. I think his fastball, you know, averages around 93, 94, which isn't bad, but it's not great, but it's middle of the pack and he throws a changeup and a slider. But I feel like his command is really good. And in a race system, I feel like they just churn out all of these pitchers that come out of nowhere or they don't have much uh, like a Ryan Yarborough. So I, I think with him not following a closer I, or an opener, I should say, I like the perspective of him as a Sparp. And while we're on Sparps, Keegan Thompson, Chicago Cubs, he's sporting a 5-0 and record with a 1.58 ERA, 1.02 whip, and 35 strikeouts. Looking at these underlying numbers on Baseball Savant for both of these players, all of their expected statistics are all like above the 75th percentile, so the underlying numbers are supporting what these two are doing. I would definitely go take a look, see if these players are available in your league. I know right now, as it sits right now, Keegan Thompson is available in our league, so... If anybody from our league is listening, that is definitely somebody I would add if I had room on my team. Before we move on, Matt, anything you want to say on these two guys? Yeah, and I, I think both players, as you kind of alluded to, are worth a shot in the dark because the smart position is so valuable. You know, we see so much change also go through that uh, from month to month, right? You look at this past week alone, say that you were rostering Michael Kopech like I am. And he's one of your relievers in a points league. All of a sudden, boom, right? He's out the entire week because they push his start back to this coming Tuesday. You're frustrated. Having one or two of these Sparp guys available is really, really important. Um, but I, I think I'm probably more interested in Spriggs here for the simple fact that I like guys on, on the better team normally. Thompson being on the Cubs, Cubs are going to struggle this season, right? We talk about his length as a guy that's not fully stretched out. Yeah, you're going to need wins. Even if, and if he gets through the fifth inning, like you have to concern yourself with, well, he's still on the Cubs. So I think Spriggs is my guy uh, to pick up here. And kind of sticking around with the the Sparp concept here, we have a couple of relievers also, one that you picked up, um, one that I'm really excited about. So we have uh, Duran and Helsey here. Who are you most excited about? And uh, who do you think actually either takes the job and keeps the job or ends the season as their closer? Well, for this season... In categories or saves and hold, I'm more uh, interested in Ryan Helsley. Throws over 100 miles an hour. Hasn't even given up a run yet. He got the most recent save for the Cardinals, but it should be noted that Giovanni Gallegos got the save the day beforehand, so I don't know if he necessarily was available or not. Either way, he's put in high leverage situations, and he has been delivering for the Cardinals. So he's definitely somebody I like. Long term, I like Johan Duran. This is somebody I've been following through the majors. I kind of was hoping that he would develop more into a starter, but he only really throws two pitches. But one of them is a fastball that he averages well over 100 miles an hour. He touches 103 consistently. His ERA was in the threes, fours to begin the season, but it is now down to a 242. And he hasn't given up a run since May 5th, which um, he's coming up on a, a full 
full month here, so it looks like the Twins are starting to believe in him. He is splitting time with Emilio Pagan as far as saves go, but you can see that the Twins organization believes in him. And I know you and I have talked about him off the year, and I kind of compared him to this year's Emmanuel Classe. Hard to compare the two, but if you think about it, James Karinchek was the closer for the Cleveland Indians, now Guardians, last year. And it was only a matter of time before Emmanuel Classe took over. He kind of had a stint uh, where he was giving up some runs at the beginning of the season, but ultimately he locked down that closer role by the end of the year. I'm kind of hoping that's what happens with Johan Duran here. And I guess we'll just kind of see. But Matt, which one are you more excited about? Yeah, it's hard, man. With Johan, like, I see a lot of raw, raw, raw talent. You know, like, the guy's arm is, is unbelievable, and that's kind of what we thought about Classe, right? Like, can he find the control consistently? And if he can find the control consistently, oh, my God, the guy's going to be you – know, he's going to be locked down for the next five years. Um, and I think, honestly, he's got the team there to at least be in this competitive conversation where I didn't think the Twins closer would really matter this year. And I was wrong about that. So um, I think Helsley is my guy, though. I think for the Cardinals, they I'm kind of expecting them to pass the Brewers now eventually in this in this division. And if not pass them, be very competitive. So you're talking about the opportunity for a team, maybe 40 saves all season, right? Even like up to now. So you're counting the ones that we have in the book. Um, and Giovanni Gallegos, he's had one lockdown season, but we're already starting to see a little bit of the concerns there. And we're also seeing... Lack of that durability from the Cardinals' perspective in trusting him back-to-back-to-back days. You look at how Hayter and Romano have pitched this season. Rodgers is well down there in San Diego. They've pitched four or five times a week because the manager has faith that their arm can withstand that. We don't see that with Gallegos. Um, and I think Helsey might have the opportunity to just kind of take that role and if not take that role, at least get one or two save opportunities slash holds and wins uh, a week. Um, and honestly, Duran just isn't available out there. I think Helsley is still a guy that might be floating around or might be someone that people are willing to trade. I think with Duran's um, last two weeks, you're probably not going to be able to go out and get him. You're going to be paying overpriced value for him as it stands. But both guys I am very excited about, and both guys I'm more excited about than I was a month ago, right? There were more question marks a a 30-day span ago. Both guys didn't have solidified roles. Now we're starting to see, hey, one's got a solidified role. The other one is working his way there. But, Richie, we have a couple more players, a couple more pitchers. We have two starting pitchers. One I am very, very excited about and just watched, and the other I could give two shits about. Um, so why don't you go ahead and talk about these two starting pitchers. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, the first one, I think you and I both were upset because when I was trying to clear all this roster space, there was a lot of pitchers that I wanted to acquire, and I could only get so much. So by them getting acquired before I had a chance to get them kind of made it easy for me. But this one is Brady Singer. He's a first-round draft pick for the Kansas City Royals. They've got a lot of these first-round picks that are coming up. they got Daniel Lynch, Jackson Coar, But Brady Singer, I think, is the most exciting in my term. and looks like he's the most polished. Before his last start, he didn't give up a single run for a while. He's sporting a 2.49 ERA with a .99 whip. He's joining the rotation. I think he's got two or three starts now, but it looks like he's solidified it. And uh, I think he's developing well. The next one is the starting pitcher, David Peterson, for the New York Mets. He joined the rotation after Scherzer went out, and he had a quality start in his last outing. He's pretty serviceable, I think, in the short term if you need a guy. 
I think he will get the job done. Somebody I wouldn't really start against a hard team, but when he's playing those middle-tier teams, the lower teams, definitely somebody I would stream. Yeah, Peterson doesn't have any value to me. Um, to <laughs> I figured that's the one you're talking about. Be completely about. honest. Um, you know, we loved Taylor McGill coming into the season. I don't give a shit about Peterson. Uh, I think he can be a fill-in for some of these guys that are hurt in regards to an actual fantasy guy. You're, you're better, in my opinion, streaming like an Ethan Small. I, I just think there's a lot more upside on these guys from a week-to-week -week basis. Now, with that being said, he's on our list for a reason, right? Like pitching is thin in a lot of leagues. And if you need a guy, especially say in a categories league where you're just trying to hit your innings limits and kind of moderate your risk, Peterson can be a guy that you can throw in there and can get you five, six, you know, Ks can get you an okay ERA and a whip. It's not going to damage you too much. So there is value there. I just, I really tend to look at things from a points perspective and I, outside of the Mets being a good team and him possibly getting a win, not too much, um, value there but brady singer goodness gracious man he, I, I i've seen this from him in the past i've seen really really good outings i've seen really good stretches from singer but i watched him yesterday and he just looks so great that two seam fastball was really having great placement and a good demeanor on the mound too did run into some issues i think it was in the sixth inning where they ended up pulling him out and some of the runners that he let, let on base ended up scoring with the reliever coming in but overall i think this kid could be ready to elevate himself uh, and it's funny because Sandy Alcantara had a great start last night too. Um, and I'm starting to see the same similarities that we saw from Sandy a couple of years ago where, you know, you go from having one or two good starts over the course of two or three months to finally putting together consecutive strings. And Alcantara was that kind of guy too. Um, so Singer, I think, finally breaking through that developmental point. Yeah, and we've also talked off the air about – if you're a pitcher in the AL Central, you already have an advantage. With the new schedule that you have to play a certain number of games against people within your own division, you're talking about teams like the Tigers, the Royals themselves, the Guardians. You know, you have the Twins and the White Sox. The White Sox are injured right now. The Twins kind of have a, a mixed match. They've got great players like Buxton and Correa, but they also have young guys like Royce Lewis and Jose Miranda that they're trying out. So there's not too many stud hitters. They're not lineups like the NL East where you have the stacked Mets lineup and the Phillies and all these other teams. So I think you also get a boost or a bump as far as fantasy goes when you play in a division like that. I was just looking at Shane Bieber and all of his starts this season, or at least the last ones that you can see on ESPN, and he has great outings. Um, and then you look and they're all against players that are in that AL Central and you look at his one blow up game and it's against the Toronto Blue Jays where he gives up seven earned runs and three and a third and it's like man it's just unreal how um, fortunate those pitchers are yeah yeah absolutely and and this is the thing too right like with inter interdivisional pitchers you oftentimes want to really highlight those guys before the season Sometimes it's hard because you're not really sure what to expect. I expected a better Tigers team. I expected a worse Guardians team. But here you are, nonetheless, in a division where you have opportunity. And I think Singer there is a guy that you can pick up and you know understand that, yes, he's on a young team. He's on a team where they might be struggling for runs at times, but he's going to give you quality outings every single time. And that's something that David Peterson, an example, we just don't know yet. Uh, so definitely Singer is probably my guy of the week. If he's still out there, go get him. We've got a couple of batters here, Richie, uh, before we wrap this up. 
couple of guys that I'm actually a little more excited about after doing a little research. Um, I'm going to go ahead and list these off and kind of toss these on here. Uh, let me know what you think of each guy. So we'll start off with uh, Ramon Liriano. Did come back from the suspension. Isn't really doing much right now. I think he's hitting 200, 250, 12 at-bats, 15 at-bats, something like that. Do you have any interest in adding him? And if you do, what kind of league are you looking to add him? Not really, if I'm being honest. Just looking at his numbers over the past couple of years, he was really pri- primarily known for his 2018-19 years with the Oakland A's when he batted 288 didn't show much pop in 2018 only had five home runs but 2019 put 24 and I think when people hear Ramon Laureano that's what they cling on to but then you look at 2020 batted 213 2021 batted 246 and didn't really show the the home run ability had six home runs in 2020 which was a shortened season so hard to justify but then last year only 14 home runs so it was only 88 games though so I'll give him a pass maybe the power is for real but I don't I don't believe he's going to give you much of an average I think you're looking at somebody who realistically is going to bat maybe 250 maybe gets you 20 25 home runs so maybe in a five outfielder league maybe if I'm desperate for some cheap power that's somebody I would grab but outside of that not somebody I'm really too interested in yeah, I kind of put him in the classification or the bag of Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, excuse me, Carlos Gomez, right? A guy that's known around the league because he's got an incredible glove and he's a playmaker, but also has power. So he kind of gets more notoriety than he probably should. Um, but again, if you're in a deep league and you're looking for power, I think Laureano's probably still out on a lot of waiver wire. Um, waiver wires. I think I saw when I looked up him up today, he was at like 6% on ESPN. So opportunity there. Uh, moving along, though, you talked about cheap power, and that brings us to our next guy, Oscar Gonzalez for the Guardians. Now, I have some nice numbers for you here, Richie. Uh, he is a guy that a couple of our favorite podcasts have also highlighted. Uh, Gonzalez this past week did make his Major League debut. He had a hard hit ball of 113.1 eggs of velocity. It was the hardest of the game. 24-year-old, so he's been around the league for a while. He has had five minor league seasons. But I think the exciting thing is that exit velo, and also on top of that, he had 31 home runs last year in the minor league. So you've seen the production off that exit velo. Obviously, they're produced. And then the last thing I'll add about him before we get your input here, uh, great arm as well. And I know that doesn't matter whatsoever for fantasy, but to me it does. It means that they are going to be able to trust him in the outfield as a non-defensive liability. In his first game, he did have a throw at 99.9 miles an hour that held a runner I think that's something I look at for a guy that's 24 and might be fringe startable in a major league lineup. Might be a couple more at-bats a week. Uh, What are your overall opinion of Oscar Gonzalez? Are you looking to add him? And again, if so, what kind of league? Yeah, this is uh, definitely somebody, if you have the extra roster space, a dynasty league, somebody I would kind of put on the scout team, add him, kind of see what he does. If you're really hurting for an outfielder, somebody to add. I like the exit velocity. My concern is his fly ball rate. He's sporting a 34%, which is, is pretty good, but his ground ball rate in the is sporting right around that 45 to 50% range. If he can lower that a little bit and increase his fly ball rate, I think then we can start to see some of that power translate a little bit. Um, right now in the majors, it's just a 25% fly ball percentage, but he has only played, what, a few games, so there's not much data there to... Um, suggest it but 
my concern would be if pitchers understand how to throw to him, figure out his weaknesses, but definitely somebody I keep an eye on. Um, doesn't hurt to pick him up. Kind of like that Michael Harris I, we mentioned earlier. Doesn't hurt to grab him if you have the space, see what he has. Otherwise, somebody I have on my wait list and see once he gets hot, maybe that's when I add him. Yeah, and um, I, I think you're spot on. If you're dealing with a guy in the outfield, say Adam Duvall is your third outfielder, screw it. Put Gonzalez in there. You might as well at this point, um, just for the hell of it. I, well, I think Adam Duvall shouldn't even be rostered in five outfielder leagues, in my opinion. I, I think I, there's other guys you can grab. Fully, fully agree with you. I think Harris is there too. You know, there's opportunities here for a couple of young guys to just slide in, but I think we also have to be mindful that some of these leagues have teams that are going to just absolutely stack their bench with outfielders, preventing other teams from actually starting players of any value whatsoever. Um, Getting along here, though, we do have one more outfielder we're going to talk about. That is Austin Hayes. Pulling up his stack cast numbers, too, has been a little bit of an education. He's batting 297 with five home runs this season. So definitely off to a good start. He was a guy on the most added list that we actually were surprised to see. But, Richie, I have some numbers for you, and I want to catch your opinion and see what we think of this. So he's got a good average so far. Home runs, obviously, are kind of middle of the pack. But looking at his baseball savant profile, uh, he is 26 years old. The thing that really encouraged me about possibly the rest of his season is his launch angle. So in the 2022 season, his launch angle is sitting at a 7.8 career, sitting at a proud 11 and a half. You see 11.5, 11 last season was 12.5. So the launch angle really isn't there, but we are seeing a good average. Uh, exit velocity coming off the bat at 89.2. So kind of, again, middle of the pack. Barrel rate, eh, love to see a little bit more. Last year was 9.1. This year's 5.1. But I guess my question for you is, with kind of these middling um, underlying numbers, do we expect for him to even play better the rest of the season, even though he's batting 297? Yeah, well, you mentioned with his age, that's kind of the sweet spot for us. You know, once you get past 25, 26, if you've been in the league for a little bit, you kind of understand how to adapt to the league. You're more comfortable. You don't feel pressured. And just looking, as you said, with his baseball savant, he's hitting the ball much harder at a more consistent pace, up to 43.5% compared to 39.2. But what I like is he's lowered his strikeout rate from 20.2 last year down to 15.3% this year. And he's also increased his walk rate from 5 to 8.2%. So those are numbers that are showing in the right um, direction. Like you said, his launch angle isn't necessarily where you like it. But it kind of shows up, you know, you see his average at 297. I think there is room for improvement and he could get, um, you know, more home runs. He's what's sitting at three right now. So he or he's at five right now, I should say I misspoke. So I definitely see more power in his um, profile. My concern is with their new stadium, they moved the fence back in left field 10, 10 more feet and they also increased the wall. I actually went to that stadium and it is a huge difference and you can tell um, that wall is massive. So that would be my only concern as far as limiting his home run ability. Well, I'm wondering if that's maybe to play into his change in launch angle, um, because when you actually look at the raw data, it's a significant change and it's early in the year, so it's hard to gauge. But maybe when he's at home, he's just saying, forget it. I'm not even going to sit wing for the fence. I'm going to be more of a contact hitter. I'm going to place the ball where it's thrown you know, giving that average a little bit of a boost and lowering the power numbers. 
Uh, it'll be interesting to monitor that the rest of the season. And I guess my question for you is, who are you dropping for him tomorrow? Uh, not dropping anybody for him. Oh, darn um, it. I, would ho- I was hoping we'd be in a bidding war, but honestly, I don't have any roster spot either. No. If, if I were to drop anybody, I would... Let's be I'm, if I'm being honest, I don't even know who's on my team anymore. Alex Cobb, uh, Richie. You'd be dropping Alex Cobb. See, I like Alex Cobb. I, yeah, pull, up of, his, well, Alex Cobb pull up his while we're on Alex Cobb. Pull up his pull up his stack cast right now. Or his baseball savant right now. What are you what are you gonna highlight for me as I pull this up? What are you what are you looking to show me how awful all, his all XFIP his... is? No, I'm waiting for it to load as we speak. Come on, come on. Show you that he's in the 90th percentile and average exit velocity, XERA, barrel percentage, expected batting average, hard hit percentage, XWOBA, XSLUG. His walk is in the 69th percentile, so that could improve. His fastball velocity is middle of the pack, so you're not going to get much there. But his chase rate, that's what I want you to look at. His chase rate is 96% in uh, 96th percentile, and his whiff percentage is 49th percentile. What that tells me is he's due for some positive regression as far as strikeouts. He's getting people to chase, but he's not getting that whiff percentage. So I I expect to see his 78th percentile of strikeout percentage to increase, and I think he's due for some positive regression when you look at all those numbers. Okay, so I've I've taken a screenshot of his savant, okay? Because I I don't disagree with you. I can't can't argue against what this is showing. He's he's elite in almost every category. Um, But the fastball spin, I'm intrigued, right? Because it's the only thing rated out at poor. Correct. And that's why he's susceptible, and that's why he gives up home runs. Well, it's also why we've seen him give up games with 10, 12 hits, right? I think his last game before Cincinnati had given up 10 hits, lack of spin on the fastball, it makes it a little bit easier to see, makes it a little bit more hittable, right? We just talked about that. Um, it will be interesting to see and follow Alex Cobb throughout the rest of the year because these numbers are incredible. And these numbers should essentially say, as you're saying, he should even out to being one of the top 15 pitchers in baseball if what this is saying is correct. Now, it is a little bit early, but you can't argue against all of this red. Um, well, and that's that's the main reason why I haven't dropped him yet. If those numbers were like what Shane Bieber's looks like, I would have dropped Alex Cobb three starts ago. Sure. And yeah. that's that's the main reason. This this right here, this baseball savant page, is the only reason why he's still on my team. Well, and, and this is the thing that I'm intrigued on, right? Like, I I don't have the data to back this up, but I would imagine once in a great while, a guy that is mirroring these statistical numbers on underlying stats does play like shit, right? Like, it, it has to happen. Is that Alex Cobb? Is he, like, one of the first guys that we're going to use as a reference point for our data? Moving forward, where we say in five seasons, hey, remember Alex Cobb's 2022 season, right? Through two months, he looked incredible, but he was terrible. Um, so this that's why I think I'm more intrigued to keep an eye on this moving forward. Like We need more reference points of guys that show good underliers that aren't good. But before we wrap this, Richie, we got a couple more names. I'm just going to rattle them off for you. You let me know if you have any interest. Again, this is waiver wire ads for this coming week. We talked about Austin Hayes last. We're going to talk about William Contreras for the Braves, uh, Hunter Dozier. We talked about Michael Harris the second a little bit earlier. And then Joey Votto is back from injury. Any of these guys catch your eye? And if so, why? William Contreras, I think, is the one that sticks out to me just because 
as we mentioned, they brought up Michael Harris. They're lacking in outfield as far as as well as DH. So I think William Contreras is going to split time with Travis Darnold at catcher. But I think if he's not, he's going to be playing some DH. And any catcher that is going to be playing mostly every day is going to be valuable regardless because just playing a game or two extra compared to the, the rest of the competition out there instantly gives you an advantage. Now you throw in that he's been absolutely on fire. He's sporting, what, a 260, 270 batting average, has some power in his profile. I, I think that's a, a definitely a good add if you need a catcher. If you have somebody outside the top six, um, definitely somebody worth adding. If, if you have somebody that's within that top six or seven, I, I mean, I don't know how much really he's going to benefit you from what you already have. I think he's sporting a hot streak right now, so I think he will cool down a little bit. And then Michael Harris we've talked about. Joey Votto, I'm intrigued. I want to see a little bit more. I give him another week or two. Is he just on a hot streak? Did he have a good streak against some pitchers? Or did he fix some things while he was out with COVID? Did he work on his swing? Did he watch some film? Has he adjusted anything? And I haven't done any research to see, is his batting stance different? Is he choking up on the bat? Is he stepping further away in the box? Those are things I don't know. So um, that's something I I definitely should look into for the next podcast. So I would say William Contreras and Votto will be the ones I'm most intrigued at. Yeah, um, I didn't disagree with you there. I think those are my, my two big takeaways from this list. I think Hunter Dozier in deep, deep leagues here, I think that five home runs and that 276 batting average is startable finally. He has not been very good for a few years since he kind of came onto the scene hot and was startable, I think, in the 2019 season. So kind of wanted to add him to this list just so that we had a guy that was like, you know, hey, you got a guy that can actually like provide some value in a young lineup. Um, so I think, you know, there are some counting numbers there that could be there with Melendez being on that team now and Witt kind of starting to come to form. But Bado, as you said, I think this might be the last opportunity for him to, to be on one of our lists here because, again, he came off the injury. We have the opportunity for him to elevate that game to get that batting average back above 200 uh, and to start to hit for power, right? And we're starting to get into the warmer months here. But, uh, Richie, do you have anything else for us today before we say goodbye? No, I just am going to apologize in advance. I am due for a week and a half long vacation, so it will be a little bit before we podcast again. Yes, yes. You must go and enjoy yourself. Um, it's actually been out here kind of living life. I like it, right? Came and saw us. You uh, you fought the COVID battle and seems yeah, like... thanks for giving me the COVID, Matt. You won that. Hey, you know what? I do what I can, my man. I, uh, I have <laughs> viled it up and I am you know injecting as I go. But uh, but yes, we what will. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, that's right? right. That's right. That is the uh, the old mantra there. Um, we might have another podcast, just a short episode where I'll, where I'll jump on myself and just talk about some minor leaguers, maybe some pickups. But if not, look to catch us when Richie is done with vacation, and we will see you again next time.